With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Um, Our kids showed great character and resiliency in a tough environment. Um, So it certainly did play a factor, but in the final analysis, um, I had to evaluate where Iowa was. As I looked at back on the outcomes, um, I, I'm trying to look at who are championship caliber football teams in that moment, right? And um, how competitive were we in those games? Um, we weren't playing for a conference championship and neither was Iowa. And I have great respect for Iowa. It's a wonderful institution and great football program. But in the final analysis, their record was where it was and ours was where it was. And that sets the stage here for this Thanksgiving edition of the Husker Online Show. We are a few days earlier this week because of the Friday kickoff. But thank you, Sean Eichhorst, for the bulletin board material as we lead off the show. That was Nebraska Athletic Director Sean Eichhorst a year ago at this time when Nebraska beat Iowa and he fired head coach Bo Pelini two days later. Um, somebody asked him, well, how much did the Iowa win factor into his final decision? And he said it didn't factor in at all because he does not consider Iowa a championship caliber program. Well, the funny thing is Iowa on Black Friday will be coming into Lincoln to win a championship and a potential spot maybe in the college football playoff. And uh, it's just amazing. And I'm sure this is going to be talked about uh, by Iowa media and everyone all week. Uh, because Sean Eichhorst just basically made the bulletin board for this week. Yeah, it's already being talked about. Uh, you know, this is something that uh, Iowa's entire fan base uh, certainly took exception to. And uh, as Iowa had the early success they did and Nebraska got up to the rough start they did, you can bet that anyone that you know knows an Iowa fan or works with an Iowa fan or is related to one heard about it in ad nauseum about you know hey I thought you know we were supposed to you know look at where Iowa was as a program well look at us now type deal and unfortunately another instance of Sean Eichhorst kind of putting his foot in his mouth a little bit but uh, in his defense when you look at when he those comments were made Iowa was a stagnant program that wasn't going anywhere Kurt Ferentz hot seat was had never been hotter than it was going into this season Uh, you know talking to the Iowa rivals guy they thought that this would be the year that he gets fired now all of a sudden he's undefeated so uh, you know obviously one of those uh, choices of words you'd want to take back but uh, you can't take it back now and I was going to use it and honestly I mean you know you can only play the, the teams that are on your schedule so you can't knock Iowa too much for this but I look at the wins that Iowa has and I still I mean I still don't know if I see a championship caliber team they've got two wins over ranked teams or teams Pitt- that were ranked at the time Pittsburgh's basically a ranked team or close to being ranked yeah that was really early in the year um that they're fine I guess I mean they beat Wisconsin 10 to 6 I think we've learned Wisconsin isn't that great they didn't even gained 200 yards in that game when they beat Wisconsin. And then they destroyed Northwestern, who we've learned isn't that great. Oh, I wouldn't say Northwestern's not that great. I mean, Northwestern is 8 and 2, Wisconsin is 8 and 2. I mean, I I mean those those are both going to be 9 or 10 win teams. So you can't knock those wins 
but they don't have the Michigan, Michigan State. Yeah, the, those are their best wins on the entire schedule, though. They haven't beaten any of the, I would say, the Big Ten heavies would be Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan. They haven't had to play any of those teams. And, yeah, and you could argue they are going to be an underdog coming into Lincoln this week um, with that game. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong saying that, but I just think with Nebraska having a week to prepare, the way they've played the last two weeks, the defense getting healthier, healthier being a 2:30 game with a better atmosphere, a better prepared crowd, in so many words, yeah. <laughs> I, I, more I just, lubricated crowd. I, I just think the stage is set for this to be a, a very, very fun Black Friday game in Lincoln. Yeah, sir. I mean, from Iowa's standpoint, this is probably the least ideal situation possible because you know. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you thought that this was going to be maybe a walkover game where you, your fans were going to almost outnumber Nebraska fans because people were selling their tickets. And uh, now here we are. Nebraska season has completely done a 180, uh, and they actually have some momentum behind it now and have a full bye week to get ready for you and get healthier. And uh, you're going to be playing on a short week. So uh, all the pressure's on Iowa in this one, really. I mean, yeah, obviously, Nebraska wins, solidifies a bold bid, but I think that's pretty much solidified already. Uh, it's you, a matter you, of. Do you yeah. want to go somewhere cool, or do you want to get right. stuck going to like the Armed Forces Bowl? So we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll see what this Iowa team's made of. I mean, like I said, the pressure is going to be on, and it's going to be a tough situation. Memorial Stadium's going to be rocking. Nebraska fans are already just like chomping at the bit for this game to get going, and so you know it's it's going to be a hostile environment, and uh, we'll see if I was uh, up to the task to you know get that last win and uh, go into that Big Ten championship game undefeated. Well, and a Rose Bowl bid is really on the line for Iowa. Let, let's just say they beat Nebraska and lose to Ohio State. Ohio State's in the playoff, um, and Iowa then would go to the Rose Bowl as the Big Ten representative at 12-1. and Now, if Iowa is 11-2 and with a loss to Nebraska, a loss to Ohio State, then the Rose Bowl might lean towards a Michigan or Michigan State at that yep. point mm-hmm. uh, with Iowa losing two in a row. Then Iowa would probably have to go to the Citrus Bowl or the Outback Bowl or the Holiday Bowl, one of those three better uh, upper-tier bowls in the, in the pecking order. So there is a ton at stake here for Iowa um, because they are going to be about a two-touchdown underdog to Ohio State if they play the Buckeyes in, in Indianapolis. Yep. And, and you wonder how these Iowa guys respond. You know, the last couple of years, they haven't been in situations where they've had – you know, games with this much on the line. Obviously, Kirk Ferentz is the guy who's been there before, but most of these players have not been in situations like this. Do they respond well to the pressure, or do they maybe fold a little bit? And you look at the numbers of this Iowa team, they're not going to have a 1,000-yard rusher. Um, You know, C.J. Beathard, I think, has been the guy that makes it go for their offense. Um, Really, the offensive line is the strength of what they do up front which for Nebraska, the defensive line is probably the strength. So that is going to be an interesting matchup. But defensively, um, they've they've shown they're vulnerable as well. Um, so th- I'm very intrigued uh, to see how Nebraska attacks that Iowa defense. Minnesota had a lot of success. Uh, Mitch Leidner threw the ball very well against Iowa um, in that game, uh, the night game out there in Iowa City. Um, so I, I think they're getting Iowa at the right time, having the bye week, Iowa playing you know back-to-back weeks here and. Um, it'll be interesting just to see how Iowa responds. Statistically, Iowa's rushing defense looks great. They're only giving up 104 yards per game. That's third in the Big Ten, 3.3 yards per carry. Meanwhile, Nebraska comes in. Their running game's arguably playing as well as it has all season right now. So that's going to be a really fun matchup to watch, I think. And it's funny, um, people think Nebraska doesn't run the ball very well. They're still ranked fourth in the Big Ten. It might have changed. Are they still fourth, Dan, uh... in total rushing yards in the Big Ten? 
they are fifth in rushing fifth. yards per game. But they're ahead of Wisconsin. Yes. They're ahead of Michigan State. And, you know, I think there's this perception that Nebraska is not a very good running offense, um, but they're still right there when you factor in they also lead the league in passing at this point. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's it's interesting because with Iowa, you know, like we said, their statistics just don't jump out at you. But, uh, you know, what they do is they make the clutch plays. I mean, their third down conversion, fourth down conversion. They percentage, don't turn it over. They don't turn the ball over. They just they, they keep drives alive and just chip away and chip away and chip away. Shorten the game. Shorten the game, play extremely tough defense. And like I said, they basically wait for the other team to make those mistakes. And that's kind of been their formula. So, you know, Nebraska, which, you know, as, you know, we've seen the uh, Jekyll and Hyde of, uh, you know, Tommy Armstrong and that offense. I mean, with the, the, the composure and uh, clean football is going to be absolutely key for them to, you know, stay in this one. You wonder, though, would Iowa have beaten BYU week one? Would they have won at Miami in week three when Al Goldman was still intact? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just wonder if the schedules were flipped, how they would have been. Di- I mean, Nebraska's just what they drew out of the gates in the non-conference. I mean, it was just such a tough draw for a new coaching staff, and they've had to overcome uh, that that early, you know, adversity. A rash of injuries too to get to this point. I mean, that BYU opener. People don't realize what it did to this team health-wise. When you play a physical, mature team like BYU, I mean, they just recovered from that game last week at Rutgers, more or less. Yeah, I mean, they had so many guys go down or at least get nicked up in that game. And, I mean, you talk about the physical health, the mental health, too. Just to start off that Mike Riley era with such a, you know, just a gut punch yeah. loss as opposed to what would have been a really solid victory over a good BYU team – I think mentally that just totally swung the pendulum, unfortunately, you know, not in Nebraska's favor. BYU is just not a team you would ever want to open with again. I mean, you think about what they did to Oklahoma in 2008, or was it 2009, the year they they dislocated Sam Bradford's shoulder. First game of the year. I mean, they're just a physical, mentally sound, tough team, especially week one when when you're trying to play younger guys and they're a veteran type of team like yeah, that. a I mean, bunch of grown men. I mean, they they, they test they you right are, out of yeah. their gates. And, uh, you know, that it's like that was like you said, that's probably like the least ideal opener, not only just to, for any season, but for a new coaching staff with trying to, you know, instill an entire new schemes on both sides of the ball, going against maybe the most veteran team in college football. Uh, that was a tough task. Yeah, I mean, just think about how different this year would be if they had – a layup game there, a layup game, and then yep. Miami is your only tough game. And you could argue Southern Miss is actually going to be an 8-9 win team this year. That that Southern Miss win doesn't look terrible now mm-hmm. uh, when you see how good Todd Monken has done. But nonetheless, Nebraska sits 5-6. and six. Iowa comes in here undefeated this week. It should be fun, guys. Uh, we will talk more now offense as the Huskers get ready for the Hawkeyes here. You're, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I can say one word that really described them. They play very, very hard, and they don't stop until you know the end of the game. So we know we're going to get that best effort. This is just two in a row for us, and Iowa's going to be another game for us. we got a little bit of momentum going into them, and I think we're, we're peaking at the right time. You know, we're a hot football team right now. we got a lot of things working for us, so you know, we're excited. We can't wait to get them to come to Lincoln. That was wide receiver Alonzo Moore and punter Sam Fultz talking about the challenge of Iowa coming in here to Lincoln on Black Friday. Welcome back to uh, another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Dan Hoppin as we set the stage for Nebraska and Iowa. We, we talk offense this week, and 
Um, I think the big question, guys, is Tommy Armstrong. Uh, we know there's been a lot going on for him off the field, a lot of personal things uh, that he's been battling and dealing with. Um, and he had a rough game last week at Rutgers, three interceptions. It, you just wonder how Tommy Armstrong's focus level is and, and kind of how he handles the week. Yeah, and, you know, he's gone through his share of ups and downs over the course of his career. I mean, uh, this isn't I mean, obviously some unique circumstances involved right now, but uh, for the most part, he's handled them the right way. You know, he's not a guy that uh, kind of gets caught up in, you know, the emotional roller coaster, so to speak. So I think that he'll be able to, at least just for the time being, you know, as far as this, you know, game against Iowa is concerned, be able to put all this other stuff behind him and, and focus on football. But uh, I think there's no doubt that this has, you know, certainly been uh, an unwanted, unnecessary distraction uh, for a team that finally, for the first time all season, had some good vibes going. And, uh, you know, to even be talking about this when, you know, Nebraska's finally won two games in a row and has a chance to, you know, knock off its second top five team in, in three games and uh, you know get back to 500 and, you know that they have all this other outside noise going on has certainly not been what Mike Riley hoped uh, his team would be dealing with right hey, now. Dan when you look at Tommy Armstrong and now we have 11 games to break it down how much better has he gotten or has he not really gotten that much better I mean, when you look at the hard data the hard numbers um, and, and meaningful type of games what do you see right now uh, what quarter are we talking? <laughs> what, what? I mean, that's literally what it comes down to with Tommy. Sometimes he looks amazing. He looks great. You look at that second half of the Miami game, he was fantastic. And then, you know, you look at uh, that four-drive span against Rutgers when he threw three interceptions, and you just you wonder if you're watching the same guy. Here's a stat. In his career, Tommy's got seven games with at least three passing touchdowns and he's got four with at least three interceptions i would you know dare you to find another quarterback in the country that that's true about it's you just never really know what you're going to get from him. it's not just game to game it's really drive to drive and i'm not saying this to knock the kid because i think he's actually played pretty well uh for the most part this year but the interceptions are just i mean they're just hard to overlook yeah he i mean uh, you don't want to say bad habits or stubbornness but that's what it looks like sometimes when mm -hmm. when he reverts back to those mistakes trying to win games by himself you just have to believe in the system more and let the system win and not put it all on your shoulders and we've seen him do that at times and this is a game where you're going to have to do it iowa is so disciplined robin with what they do if you make mistakes like rutgers Nebraska's not going to win this game. Exactly. They they prey on teams to, to make mistakes like Tommy makes at times. But uh, the good news is that everything around Tommy has gotten better and better every single game, you know, from the power running game to the play of the offensive line uh, to the emergence of Monty Cross. And then on the other side of the ball with the improved play of the defense, he's getting help finally. Where before there were games when, you know, Tommy had to do it all. And he felt that pressure that if he's not out there making those types of plays, Nebraska's not going to win. And so the that has kind of changed and it's kind of evened out to where that pressure isn't necessarily so heavy on his shoulders that you know he's got other guys that are finally starting to step up and help carry the load a little bit. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as, as we get you ready for this week's Nebraska-Iowa game on Black Friday. It's a 2-30 game. Um, you know, Nebraska obviously would like to get the six wins just to up their bowl stock and, and guarantee a bowl spot. You know, I mean, they're pretty much all but guaranteed, but uh, we won't know that until all the dust settles. But how big is it, guys, when you think about 
a bull month for recruiting, for practices, for the media not to have. I mean, I, I think about it from our perspective, having a whole month of December with no football. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a bunch of analysis columns and stories and people bickering on message boards. So going to a bowl game will be big this year. Yeah. Well, I think it's just huge from a practice standpoint, just getting those however many extra practices. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about how we've seen this Mark Banker defense improve. I think so much of that just has to – it just comes from being in the system and becoming more familiar with the schemes and the terminology. You get an extra month to spend in that and just learning more and more, getting more comfortable. I think that that, you know – even regardless of the outcome of the bowl game itself is going to help you moving forward. When I think, you know, if they're six and six and beat Iowa, they're, they're a six and six team. Not very many people probably want to play in a bowl game because they're peaking yeah. at the right time. And, you know, maybe Nashville wants them because a number of Husker fans would travel out to the music city bowl and you're going to play in Arkansas or Tennessee to a pretty full stadium. I mean, I, I would be intrigued to see this team, at six and six, playing uh, a middle of the road SEC team. Well, and it's going to mean more to Nebraska too. I mean, considering where this season was just a few weeks ago, I mean, to have that opportunity to finish above five hundred with a bowl victory that, that that means everything for Nebraska. I mean, just uh, from a, a morale standpoint, from recruiting, a momentum standpoint, mm-hmm. recruiting, spring ball. I mean, yeah, just everything. I mean, if yeah, uh, uh, you know, the idea that a, a few weeks ago we were looking at you know Nebraska not playing in pads from November 27th till mid-March. I mean, you take away that month of bowl preparation, I mean, that that was going to be a complete setback to what this staff is trying to build. And now, you know, not only talking about going to a bowl game, we're talking about going to, you know, a, a decent bowl game against a, you know, a high major, you know, power five opponent that uh, could, uh, you know, be a real springboard going into next season. Well, and decent because the Big Ten is so top-heavy. I mean, the top-heavy exactly. teams are going to, you know, help out the, the middle teams like Nebraska and then, the, the way the schedule has fallen, teams like Illinois and Minnesota, they should be bowl eligible, but because their Eastern draw has been so difficult, they're not. I mean, they've had to play – Minnesota has had to play Michigan and Ohio State for their East draw. Uh, Illinois, I believe, has had to play similar type of games. So I, I think that's why the Big Ten is struggling to get a lot of bowl-eligible teams this year because of the way the schedules of the Eastern games have been drawn. I mean, there's just not much balance – with who's playing the East and, and and how those games have been broken up. And teams like Iowa have been the main benefactor. Yeah. Wisconsin, um, they don't play any of the co- top teams in the East, which has really helped them get to where they're going to be at like 10-2, and 9-3, and three, uh, when all reality they're more like 8-4 and four type of teams. But, I mean, you, you look at that, and I'll ask you, Sean, I mean, there's not really any way to, to balance no. that year to year. It's, it's just kind of one of those quirky things, right? Yeah, you know, I always liked how the Big 12 did it, though. The Big 12 never well, – that's when you had just 12 teams, not 14. Mm-hmm. But never Texas and Oklahoma for Nebraska in the same year. Mm-hmm. Every two years you'd have one or the other. So they would at least balance that out better. We're in the Big 10 – you know they're just—they don't care. I mean, you're, you're gonna—you could have all three. You could have Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State in one year. Um, if that's what the computer generates, that's what you're gonna get stuck with. And um, the way it works now is Nebraska, at, when they go to nine games, they're gonna play Ohio State three straight years, Penn State three straight years. So it's basically three straight years of playing uh, the upper echelon teams. Um, so there is really no rhyme or reason on how this Big Ten East-West crossover schedule has been set, which is a good thing and a bad thing. 
Oh, it's funny, too, is, you know, Nebraska's schedule hasn't exactly been the most daunting thing ever. Uh, well, know, Michigan State, though. Yeah, they got Michigan State, but, uh, you know, it, it's funny. The Big Ten had to uh, throw in the fact that you play 11 straight games without a bye week uh, just to make things. They're the only team yeah. that will be on bye on week 11. I mean, so it's... even when Nebraska catches a break with his scheduling, it, it doesn't catch a break. All right, when we come back here on the program, we will shift over to defense, talk about the growth of this unit unit, and what to expect on Friday against Iowa. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's going to be a big week for us. It's another opportunity to take on another top five, top ten opponent. It's going to be a big week for us, just like last year. Uh, you know, they're a good football team, and um, they're going to bring it. They're, they're, like I said, they're probably just the closest team in Nebraska football style there is, and it's going to be a hard physical game. I mean, that's as much momentum yeah, as, as we've had this season, you know, coming off that huge win there and, you know, being able to, you know, come back and get a, and, and get a big win against a talented team uh, in Rutgers. It was, you know, big for our confidence. We got a bye week and to prepare for Iowa, and, you know, it, it should be another good game because they're, you know, obviously a good team and highly ranked. And hey, welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, and Robin Washett as we get you ready for Friday's showdown with Iowa and Lincoln. It's a 2.30 nationally televised ABC game. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, and you just heard um, safety Nathan Gary and linebacker Josh Banderas kind of set the scene for what the week will be like. And you heard Nathan Gary say Iowa is about the closest thing to Nebraska uh, when he just said when you look at the type of players they have. He just said they have a bunch of hard nosed, tough guys um, that really play with effort, and I think that's that's a fair assessment of Nebraska. They they are a, a high effort, you know, hard nosed type of team when they're playing their best. And you know, it's funny they've tried to make this game the rivalry, but I think this is the first year where it has more of a rivalry feel just because the stakes are a little higher. Sean Eichhorst kind of trolled Iowa last year. Iowa's got a shot to go to the playoff, Robin. And and I I just think uh, that's made this year's hero game far and away the most anticipated. Yeah, and you can't force rivalries. They have to develop organically. organically. Exactly. And, you know, you got to just – you got to have reasons to despise and dislike another team. Iowa was the easiest, you know, option for Nebraska when trying to identify its trophy game, whatever, just because of, you know, the – the location factor and the fact that there are so many, you know, Iowa fans in Omaha, Nebraska fans in Iowa. And, uh, you know, it, it made a lot of sense, but at the same time, it never really had that feel because, you know, Iowa is usually a borderline 500 team and, you know, Nebraska really didn't, that game never really impacted their season all that much. And so, uh, like you said, it wasn't until just this year when, uh, you know, things started to kind of, you know, turning up a few notches in terms of what the meaning of this game, you know, the, the fact that this is a you know primetime nationally televised game, two thirty with Iowa playing for a championship, Nebraska playing to continue its you know season turnaround, and uh, you know of course Sean I of course stoking the fire at last year's. Uh, when you go back conference. to last year's game, Iowa had that huge lead. I mean, mm-hmm. they just blew that lead. Dan Pearson L came back. Yeah, and I think I really look at this game. If Nebraska doesn't win that Michigan State game two weeks ago, this game has no juice whatsoever. None. It's probably played at 9 a.m. on ESPN The Ocho. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, they're just trying to get this thing out of the way, and the refs are, you know, just trying to get it over quick so they can get back to so, Thanksgiving. Uh, Iowa can get to Indianapolis and yeah. be on with it. 
But yeah, I mean, that Michigan State win changed everything. It gave Nebraska something to play for. It kind of showed Nebraska's potential. I think it put Iowa on alert a little bit. And it got these Nebraska fans excited again. And I think that we're going to see that Memorial Stadium on Friday. And Iowa doesn't have any real flashy offensive players, but they're going to want to play physical, control the game with the offensive line. Uh, Nebraska's defensive line, Robin, played maybe their best game of the season by far last week. Six sacks, 11 tackles for loss. They forced two interceptions at Rutgers. Um, What's scary, though, is C.J. Beathard has that mobility uh, to find the creases in defenses, Mm -hmm. and that, to me, will be the challenge this week. Oh, yeah, going back to that Rutgers game, you know, Chris Laviano isn't beating anybody with his legs, and uh, Beathard has that ability. You know, Nebraska, unfortunately, has made – uh, you know, quarterbacks uh, that uh, weren't necessarily known for their running ability look like, uh, you know, Michael Vick or something like that. So uh, that's certainly going to be a point of emphasis for this defense. They can't allow those breakdowns where the quarterback just has 40, 50 yards to run uh, because you're not even accounting for him as a runner. Uh, that, that, that That's certainly a, something that you know Nebraska needs to take into account for because, like you said, Iowa just doesn't have a lot of big play ability. And so you can't give up easy chunks of yards like that uh, just with simple mental breakdowns. Yeah, and you look at Iowa, how they handled their quarterback situation. They ran off Jake Rudock um, in the offseason, and you know he's now uh, the starting quarterback at Michigan having a great year. And they, they anoint uh, you know Beathard as the guy, Dan. And I think a lot of people were skeptical of, of that and how it was going to play out. I think Michigan fans are skeptical that uh, Rudock wasn't going to be good, and Iowa fans are skeptical that – um, Bethard wasn't going to be good. Well, both guys have had career years, great seasons. Um, it's a real rare deal how this thing has played out. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. And, you know, if you just look at the stat sheet, there's nothing really that stands out about C.J. Bethard. He averages 204 yards passing a game. Nah, you know, that's fine. Ten touchdowns, three interceptions. That's good. Doesn't turn the ball over, but he's not making a whole lot of plays. But he completes 61% of his passes. Robin just talked about how he's, you know, not a huge runner, but he's dangerous on the ground if you give him the opportunity. He's just kind of that guy who's not going to screw up, and if you give him a couple chances, he can burn you. And he's only throwing 10 touchdown passes, Dan. That well, Only three picks, uh, but the lack of passing touchdowns, that jumps out to me. Um, you, you know, usually Iowa's a big tight end type of team. Uh, they want to get the ball to their tight ends and, and, and find those guys and then you know, you, you look at a guy like this on their team right now, uh, Kittle, their tight end, seven of his four catches – or, excuse me, 14 of his uh, – 14 of his catches, four of them are touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the tight ends are where they're going to try to go in the red zone. They're not really a big down-the-field team. Vandenberg, their leading receiver, is only averaging 10.7 yards per reception. Yeah, they're this is a team that's going to grind it out on the ground. They're not going to throw it a whole lot, and when they do, it's not going to be down the field – Uh, They're third in the Big Ten in rushing attempts, but they're not just a team that's grinding the clock out. They're actually tied with Nebraska for second in the Big Ten in scoring offense, averaging 33.6 points per game. So this team can score. They might not do it all that quickly. Or flashy. Or flashy, but they will put points up on the board if you you let them. Where this game is going to be won, in my opinion, when Iowa has the ball, it's going to be on third down. 
Third and fours, third, third and threes. Iowa right now is completing or converting just under 50% of their third downs this season. Nebraska's defense is allowing just 35%. And to Nebraska's their third down offense has also been good. Yeah. So it's going to be those winning downs. Third and four. Third and four, getting off the field or staying on the field and moving the change. You know, wherever side Nebraska's on the ball, those are going to be the instances where that game is going to be decided. And can they contain Beathard on those broken plays? Yes. Um, he, you know, he's not a dynamic runner, but on the year he has one run of over 50 yards. I mean, he, he can run the ball 20 yards, 30 yards if you give him that opportunity. And the film shows that you can do this on Nebraska's defense if there's a crease there. He's the type of guy uh, that can find it. Um, so, you know, it worries you a little bit about Beathard and his ability to run. Like I said, he's got a 57-yard run. Um, he's able to get those third and four runs as well. And, and that's something that I don't know how Nebraska kind of counters that this week. Well, I mean, maybe you'll see – you don't want to see more dime just because Iowa's not necessarily a team no, to you don't want dime to run dime against. But, you know, I think you can utilize those defensive backs, uh, continue and, to use them in, in the pass rush as well. Michael Rose and Banderas, I mean, this is a week where extra rest, those two guys need to show up big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to put it on Michael Rose, too, because, I mean, he's by far their best blitzing linebacker. And uh, when he's on the field, he makes a difference in, in the, just the whole play of that front seven. And so hopefully he can you know get back to where he was before he got hurt. Yeah, you just have to hope that this extra week just allows him to heal up, you know, maybe rest a little bit more and get that groin back to a place where he can, you know, play 70, 75 percent of the defensive reps as opposed to 15 or 20. All right. When we come back here, we'll move back into our stock watch segment as we we tell you what's trending up, what's trending down as the Huskers get ready for the Hawkeyes. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I think he did a great job. He got himself in shape through the summer. I think that was a big part of it. He lost some weight. I think it. I think his legs were taking a toll, and, and uh, he was carrying some extra weight. I think by getting in better shape and losing some of those extra pounds, I think he's been more durable he's lasted longer um, I think he's ran quicker and faster you know I think you've seen some explosive runs from him that that you might not have seen in the spring at least I didn't and so I appreciate that work that he's put in and I think he's just stayed with it he's taken advantage of every opportunity and he's really been a, a workhorse the last really the last month and welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was offensive coordinator Danny Langstorff talking about the senior day rise here for Amani Cross. And uh, it's funny, you go back to the spring, guys, as I bring in Nate Klaus to the program with Robin Washett and Dan Hoppen. Um, there was a thought that Amani Cross may not even come back this year. He was overweight, he was slow, out of shape. And the coaches admitted it in fall camp. He came back a different player. Well, here we are on senior day uh, against Iowa. Uh, stock up Amani Cross. He will be, um, you know, uh, one of the better senior day stories for Nebraska. Just the patience he's shown. Uh, he's always been the backup. And, you know, his final three games of his year, uh, career, he'll be the featured back stock up Amani Cross. Yeah, he was essentially written off by a lot of people going into the year. I mean, with all the young backs they have coming up, uh, you know, it was like, you know, we haven't seen anything from Cross for three years. You know, he's just basically going to get passed up. But uh, over the last few weeks, he's kind of anchored that power running resurgence that has really kind of spiked uh, Nebraska's turnaround lately. All right, it's going to be a senior day themed edition of the Husker Online Stockwatch segment as we get you ready for Friday's Black Friday game against Iowa. I said Friday like three times there in one sense. <laughs> The Black Friday game against Iowa. Uh, let's stick on seniors. Dan, what do you have for your stock up? Andy Janovich. I think if you would have told any 
Blue Blood Nebraska fan that Andy Janovich was going to have 30 carry, 36 carries this year, they would have gotten so jacked up. They <laughs> just would have gone nuts. And he's averaged six and a half yards a carry. I mean, he's done really well in his role when given the opportunity. But maybe even more important, and he's a great blocker too, obviously. Maybe more, even more important than what he does offensively is what he does on special teams. So here's something I just saw blew me away. Andy Janovich has nine tackles on the year. Vincent Valentine has seven. Wow. Think about that. Like where you put those two guys coming into the season. That's there you crazy. Go, Dan, Dan, just dropping stats. I mean, that, that's one of the better stats <laughs> you've one. dropped right there. That's, that's what I bring one. to the table, or at least what I try to do. That is, uh, well, that's a special team. I mean, what he yeah, brings. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's stick on senior day uh, stock ups. Robin, who do you have? Well, you can't go without on a senior day topic without bringing up Jack Gangwish. I mean, you want to talk about somebody that epitomizes everything about a Nebraska football player that you know fans love and endear it's Jack Gangwish. I mean not only just from the walk-on story earned a scholarship and become a starting defensive end voted team captain uh, the guy just works his butt off in everything he does you know he's a former lifter of the year he's a, a honor roll uh, selection back in the last spring and uh, you know when things were completely falling apart you know especially after that Purdue game uh, he was the one guy that you know just had it he he got it you know he was going into the stands you know thanking fans for traveling just to see a team that was three and six on the road and you know that that just appreciation and awareness of you know kind of what it means to be a Nebraska football player really kept things together in some really dark times and he's a captain it's a, you guys when you think about those three seniors we talked about it's almost a amazing that Andy Janovich is not a captain. I, I agree. Think. And mm-hmm. if they redid the voting, Alex Lewis or somebody would have been off, and Janovich, in my opinion, would have been a slam dunk because uh, he has meant as much to this team as anybody. Uh, let's close out Stockwatch for Up. Nate, what's yours? The 2.30 kickoff by ABC. I think that's huge uh, for Nebraska on multiple levels. Uh, first and foremost, with recruiting, I think it allows a lot more guys to get on campus. This is going to be another monster game in terms of having visitors, both unofficial and official, on campus, uh, you know, going all the way down to the class of 2018. Plus, it's it's nice for the fans to be able to, to get out there, uh, have a little extra time to tailgate. Um, you know, the atmosphere between an 11 a.m. and a 2.30 game is completely different uh, so that I think that's uh, that's good on multiple levels and so um, you know good on ABC for for making that a 230 kick now let's close out um, with our stock down we're just gonna do one here for senior day and and you look at this class some great guys like Janovich and Gangwish that we've already talked about but not a lot of NFL draft talent and and I'll let Dan and Robin my two kind of resident NFL experts here take this one on Robin yeah, it's been a given uh, over a long long time now that there'd at least be someone uh, that you know if nothing else would be a you know potential late round flyer but you know looking at the senior class I just don't see it I mean maybe Alex Lewis has a chance just on you know reputation but uh, you know I think if you look at the film I don't know if that's necessarily the case anymore and um, you know, it, it's it's really kind of uh, a reflection on you know why you know Nebraska's had some of the problems they've had is that that senior class really doesn't have any you know dominant stars. bell cow guys yeah bell cow guys that you rely on uh, especially when things get tough. A- Andy Janovich might actually have the best shot of of making it in the NFL. I don't know if that's a guy that gets drafted maybe in the seventh round or something, but he's he's the type of guy who can get into a camp. He can prove he's a you know, tough as anything, and B, he can play special teams. Yeah, so special teams. Th- those are two things that will help him out a lot. 
Another thing, and this guy's not a senior, but Malik Collins. We've seen him really drop. True. I mean, Mel Kuyper, his most recent uh, big board does not have Malik Collins among the top 10 defensive tackles for this upcoming class. So Does Kuyper put underclassmen on his list? He does, oh, okay. yes. So that actually might be helpful for Nebraska. Maybe that nudges Malik towards coming back next well, season. Here's a, a stat for you, my friend, Dan. Uh, Nebraska's had 45 straight years where they've had a player drafted, at least one player, which is mm, wow. the record in college football. That goes back to 1969. Um, so that is a streak that if Malik Collins does not declare for the NFL, that is very much on the line. And, oh, yeah. and that is a, a heck of a, you know, a stat that not very many programs can say. No, clear. And that's what I said. Is it's kind of just such a, a unique situation right now to even be talking about this. I mean, usually there's always at least one or two guys it's a given but you know right now like you said if Malik Collins ends up coming back for his senior year then I don't know who that given is going to be all right when we come back here on the program we'll close things down with recruiting Rob and Dan uh enjoy your Thanksgiving uh thanks for all your hard work here this season as um it's flown by oh yeah it really has and uh same back to you and uh, enjoy your turkey all right we'll see you guys on Friday uh Huskers and Hawkeyes at 2 30 we'll close the show with recruiting next here you're listening to the Husker Online Show this is HuskerOnline.com your authority on Nebraska athletics and welcome back to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we put a wrap on this Thanksgiving week edition, Nebraska-Iowa Black Friday. It's a 2.30 game, Nate. Um, and for recruiting, that's huge because really it's been rare that Nebraska's been able to do much with these 11 a.m. Black Friday games the last few years. And uh, they have not had a 2.30 home game on Black Friday, uh, I believe, since um, 2010 Colorado. Uh, that was the last time uh, they played a 2:30 game, and then 2008, the Alex Henry game, where he made the field goal. But it's been 11 a.m. Um, the last two times in Lincoln, so they got a huge recruiting break uh, having this game at 2:30. It's a big boost for recruiting, you know. Really, the only thing that makes um, that has made those 11 a.m. games possible to bring guys in is the holiday weekend. You know, with with uh, guys being out of school already, being able to, you know, helping and being able to, to arrange travel and everything. This 2:30 game even allows a, a greater window for guys to get on campus, people to, to kind of put a bow on, on some of their, you know, their family, um, you know, activities and, and things that they have going on before hitting the road to, to travel or going to the airport to fly in, uh, to, to come to Nebraska. So, uh, that's a big boost. Uh, another big boost coming off that bye week recruiting, you know, a successful week of covering an awful lot of ground, being able to see a lot of your top targets, um, you know, and, and really we're seeing this is this is going to be a weekend that, that is, uh, you know, just as important really as the Wisconsin weekend was, as the Michigan State weekend was. Um, this is uh, there's going to be an awful lot of prospects on campus for this game. Well, yeah, break down just the early snapshot of some of the guys to really watch because, um, you know, you're, you're looking upwards of five to seven visitors this weekend, if not more than that. And mm -hmm. it, I think it can continue to grow and grow as kind of more chips fall. Yeah, I think we'll see a total number between seven and nine, kind of a fluid list at this point in time. But the headliner is Nathan Smith, the offensive tackle out of California, big 6'7", 280-pound, rivals top 250 prospect, uh, is committed to USC at this point in time and is an early enrollee. And, and really, you know, he's a guy that, that um, had early interest in Nebraska because his father has ties to the state, is a, a super big uh, Nebraska fan. They visit 
visited over the spring um, and, and enjoyed their trip, but ultimately he decided to commit to USC and, and become a Trojan. Well, with all the uncertainty surrounding that program right now and that head coaching search, uh, Nathan Smith has decided to, to take a visit to Nebraska this weekend because he's got a great relationship with Mike Cavanaugh. And, um, and you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think it's going to be a tough pull for Nebraska, but at the same time, anytime a player, you know, makes that trip and, and uh, you know, is leaving that door open, you never know what can happen. And um, he's going to, you know, see a great atmosphere and there's awful lot of opportunity too at that position. How surprised were you, Nate, with just that development? Did, did you have him on your radar even as a possibility to come in as a visitor? Yeah, you know, initially, no. Uh, but once the, the, the coaching change, once Sarkeesian was fired at USC, you know, anytime there's any type of uh, uh, coaching change. It opens change, the floodgate a little yeah, bit Yeah, it opens the floodgates. You, you take a look. You, you scan each school's, you know, commitment list to see if there's any players that Nebraska might reach out to. And, uh, and he was definitely one of those guys that said, you know, where I looked at the list and said, okay, this is a, this is a player that uh, Nebraska might, you know, come around to and, and revisit and just just uh, at least you know put a feeler out there and say hey look you know if we're, we start we're still interested in you if if uh, you have any questions about you know what direction uh, your commitment is heading towards and now uh, sure enough that's that's what happened we're talking recruiting here with Nate Klaus as Nebraska uh, came off their bye week the coaches did a lot of recruiting Nate and you know something to watch here not only this weekend but down the road um, in these next couple of weeks is junior college visitors. Um, how, how fast do you expect that to move and, and um, you know, how, how competitive can it be? Um, because a lot of junior college teams have bowl games and kids are going to sign December 13th. There's really only about two weekends these guys can come in. Yeah, you've got a very small window right there. And this is where things get really, really competitive in the junior college market, especially for those mid-year players. Um, there's going to be at least one JUCO on campus uh, this weekend for the Iowa game, and that's Maurice Chandler, the 6'1", 190-pound cornerback out of Oklahoma, uh, NEO uh, Junior College out, down in Oklahoma. So uh, he'll be on campus. Uh, you've got Markel Simmons, who visited for the Michigan State game, uh, just coming off of his official last weekend to Utah is going to be making a decision any any day and I, I fully expect Nebraska uh, to, to you know more than likely be the place that he decides uh, to attend so they could be adding a guy there and um, you know we're seeing defensive ends and you know cornerbacks are, are the main focus right now and um, you know and that's a competitive market in the junior college world uh, you know especially because there's only so many top tier type of talent at those types of positions. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk recruiting uh, with Nate Klaus. Um, you know, J.D. Spielman, Ben Stilley, two Husker commits that will also be on their official visit. Um, ben Stilley, Nate's a guy that had a really good senior season, um, very physical player. He's going to wrestle heavyweight this year. You know, he's been a, what, a 225 wrestler mm -hmm. the last couple of years. So um, he's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and uh, be, um, you know, probably around 260, 265 next year when he gets to Nebraska. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Ben Stilley this year. And, I mean, physically, just off the hoof, he, he's, you know, arguably one of the best, you know, physical-looking prospects in this in this class. And, and probably he's going to be one of the more well-put-together players to come in at his position in, in quite, a, quite some time. You know, usually along that defensive line or offensive line, guys for sure need a year to redshirt 
forward and add mass and strength to to their body frame. But uh, Ben Stilley, you know, will come in about as physically ready to play college football as anyone has in the past few classes. And he's he's really no nonsense. I mean, his I mean, he's not gonna small talk. And I mean, he is just all business yeah. in the classroom, on the wrestling mat, on the football field. I mean. Ben is a kid that kind of knows what he wants. He's dialed in all the time. <laughs> I mean, no matter what he's doing, he's he's all focused, he's all dialed in. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, he's got a good personality and, and will like to have fun, but um, he's not a not a, a guy that you're gonna, ever going to have to worry about, you know, not getting not taking care of his, his work. So I want to know who can get him to really laugh hard because I, I, I guarantee there's one or two people that could probably get him to laugh, but I've never seen the guy really uh, break out in a laugh or anything. Well, I think Brett Cottrell, his is, uh, the junior defensive lineman at, at Ashland Greenwood is probably that guy. He's he can be uh, a little lighthearted sometimes and, and be a little bit of a jokester, I believe. So um, I think that he might be that guy. But uh, yeah, Ben Stilley, uh, tremendous senior season on the football field. You know, and then like you said, heading into to wrestling season. You know, coming off that state championship last year, um, looking to to add another title to his list. Uh, J.D. Spielman, the other Husker commit that will be on campus uh, for his official visitors named the Minnesota player of the year already by one publication um, you know an, an opposing coach of his said that JD Spielman has uh, the most impressive highlight film of any Minnesota high school player ever in his opinion and this is a guy that's coached you know football in, in Minnesota high school uh, for over 30 years saying that so um, you know tremendous prospect uh, capped off a, a tremendous uh, career at Eden Prairie High School I believe they won 30 39 straight games before being upset in the second round of the state playoffs this year. But, um, you know, you want to you want to talk about a, a guy that has a potential to come in and, may, you know, possibly fill the, the shoes of uh, DeMornay personnel. Uh, one day, and, and that might be J.D. Spielman, uh, with, with as electric as he is, and not knowing, you know, how DeMornay personnel is going to be coming off that that uh, you know serious injury that he suffered at Purdue. And then Nate, uh, briefly, as we put a close to recruiting talk here before the Friday Iowa game, um, it really picks up for recruiting after this game. I mean, do you anticipate Sunday the coaches are on planes? And they're in schools first thing Monday morning. They're making in-home visits because you can start making. Is it Sunday or Monday after the Iowa game when you can start making the in-home visits? The contact period starts November 29th, and I fully expect that Nebraska will hit the road and and be waiting outside of homes or schools as soon as as soon as they're allowed to start. Uh, you know, start that contact period. So, um, you know, one thing that we've seen from this staff and this recruiting staff is they're highly organized, and I guarantee you they they'll have a plan of attack in place and, and coaches will be out on the road and, and ready to attack that uh, contact period full force as we head into uh, inch closer and closer to signing day. Well, lots to follow here in recruiting. It's only just begun as Nebraska really trying to put a close on this 2016 cl- class. Nate, uh, thanks uh, thanks a lot, man, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your wife, Stacy. All right, thanks. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys, too. All right, well, that puts a wrap here on another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 